I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The Deal. Listen to The Deal wherever you get your podcasts. And watch on Bloomberg Originals, Bloomberg Television, or BTV+. China has surged in recent years to become the world's second largest economy, behind only that of the United States. But while China looks like a juggernaut, it's not invincible. The nation is facing a huge run-up in debt, as well as a brewing trade war with the U.S. Yet there's one threat looming above all else, a declining population. On the second of our two-part special on falling fertility rates, we explore why Chinese women are having barely any children and what that means for the Asian powerhouse. Welcome to Benchmark. I'm Scott Landman, an economics editor with Bloomberg News in Washington. On last week's episode, we spoke with author Elizabeth Katkin about declining birth rates in the United States and the struggles that people like her have faced trying to overcome fertility problems. This week, we're turning our attention to China. The country is facing perhaps the biggest threat to its future, a population that's aging and about to shrink. Tsai Yong, a professor of sociology at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, is here to tell us more. He's an expert in the demographics of his native country, China. Professor Tsai, welcome to Benchmark. My pleasure. First things first, when and why did China institute the one-child policy? China instituted the one-child policy in 1979-1980, the exact time is a little bit murky because it was a decision in process. The main reason, uh, as announced, was to achieve, to help achieve the economic development goal. China at the time had GDP per capita at about $200. And the goal was to uh, reach uh, about $800 by the end of the century. That means by 2000. And by some calculation, the way to ensure that to reach, uh, to reach that goal was to control its population within 1.2 billion. That was the main reason. And what was China's fertility rate in the 1970s before that policy was instituted? So... The, the policy was instituted in 1979-1980. Ten years before that, China's fertility was around six kids per woman-ish. And what is it now, today? Today is about 1.5. That's, you know, 1.6, you know, given the number is not published. I, that's my guesstimate. Okay. So it's less than a third, probably, of what it was before the policy. No, okay, let me just uh, make sure we understand this. Before the policy, if we refer to 1979, China's fertility was at 2.7 kids per woman. Because it had already gone down in anticipation of, of the policy, basically? No, no, no. So there was a, a major push by the Communist Party in the 1970s. The, 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 the name of the policy is 
called later, longer, and fewer. The idea was very simple. We're basically pushing for later marriage, longer birth interval, and fewer kids. And in roughly 780 years, China's fertility declined from roughly six kids to less than three. By 1979, it was already at 2.7, 2.8 in that range. Okay, so thinking about that effort that you just mentioned and the one-child policy in 1979, how much would you say the one-child policy is responsible for the decline in fertility to about 1.5 or 1.6 today, like you said? Not much, you know. So as in the number, uh, what the number we cited, we discussed, tell us the much of change, the, the major part of change happened before the launch of the one-child policy in 1979, 1978, uh, 1980, sorry. And the, there was a little bit decline from 2.7 2. in 1979 to roughly 1.6, 1.5-ish right now. But that is not... It should not be entirely attributed to the one-child policy. We know in between those 35, 40 years that China's socioeconomic change was enormous. So are you saying that, you know, basically because of the increased wealth, because of the expanding economy in China, you know, the economic reforms that were also instituted in the late 1970s, did that play a bigger role in uh, helping to spur a decline in the fertility rate than the one-child policy by itself did. So one-child policy certainly had an effect, but if we look in longer term, we know we observe across the world when you know uh, society urbanized, when women's education increased, there's a general trend that fertility would decline following those this, uh, general socioeconomic development development, we demographers like to call this as demographic transition. So yes, one-child policy had an effect, but if we look at longer term, the social economic development probably played a more important role that maintained China's fertility at a lower level. So let's talk about China's population now. At the time the policy was introduced, the country's population was just a bit shy of 1 billion. Today, it's around 1.4 billion. Where is the population going from here? What's your forecast for uh, what is going to happen in the next 20, 30, 40 years? Okay, so the, the forecast is very clear. I think the best forecast has been done, or mostly widely cited forecast uh, has been the UN's uh, population projection. Basically, China's population would uh, turn around in the next 10 years or so, you know, from positive growth right now. It's getting close to this, uh, the so-called uh, zero growth but it will quickly turn around in about 10 years, and then we will see a very fast drop from that on. Until, and what level might it end up at, or where? Until we don't know where the end is. You know, right now we can only see the drop probably all the way to the end of this century. But it's pretty certain that uh, India will probably surpass China as, as the world's most populous nation. Oh yeah, yes, that 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 is a done deal because the fertility, and even China's fertility turned around very quickly. That we demographers call this as a population momentum. Basically, it takes a generation for the 
you know, the younger generation to get into reproductive age and for them to reproduce again. You know, what we have already seen the Chinese population in terms of the you know, cohort size decline has been there for the last 30 some years. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal wherever you get your podcast, and watch on Bloomberg Originals, Bloomberg Television, or BTV Plus. Now, Professor, in 2016. China changed the one-child policy to a two-child policy, meaning uh, people were officially or everybody was officially allowed to have two children instead of just one. Has that affected any of the population projections or caused people to have more children? Uh, Not much. So the hope was by relaxing this policy, more people will have a second child and increasing the fertility overall and uh, basically turn around the population trajectory. Unfortunately, you know, uh, what the numbers are now in that the 2017, we did not see a major increase actually. Comparing to 2016, we saw a declining total number of births. So given that trend and given, you know, the, all the other major trends in China, including urbanization and increasing women's education, labor force participation, all those things, I don't see any time soon that China's fertility will bump all the way above the so-called replacement level. So that's not really having any effect. And we had an article on Bloomberg recently that China is considering ending even the two-child policy and allowing families to have as many children as they want. If that happens, will that have any effect or, or basically none like the previous change did? So, you know, we will see on the two sides, one, on one side, because China is a, a big country with 1.4 billion in terms of number of births that should have an effect that so that this policy, this new policy would increase in the opportunity for family to have some family to have three, even four kids. But overall, on the macro level, in terms of total fertility rate or the total number of births at the entire country level, it should not. And I don't anticipate any major impact, at least in the near future. Wow. So what will happen to China's economic growth if the population does start to decline like the UN is forecasting. The country's been reporting GDP growth of close to 7% a year in recent years. Is that going to go down significantly? So I'm kind of, I'm not an economist. It's, a, it's always kind of fascinating and interesting, intriguing, at least to me, that why we like to connect fertility directly to the economic growth. To me, it's a more a secondary, maybe tertiary thing. But indeed, if we look at longer term, this, you know, building up of fertility, low fertility would lead to eventual decline of growth rate. Partly, we know the population requires labor force, new laborers come into the uh, market, partly, and more importantly, it's the aging population. Right now, China is setting its uh, retirement age at 55 for women and 60 uh, for men. And with that population continuing to increase, that will create a huge drag for the 
entire economy. Do you think that might cause China to open up its borders much more to allow more immigrants or migrant workers to, to come in to, to work in the country or live there? You know, it's. I think uh, given the China size, uh, migration probably will not be considered as a priority for Chinese policymakers. But China is indeed trying to entice certain selective, you know, migration, entice certain population to migrate into China. More likely, China will have to relax its retire- retirement age or delay its retirement age or train its population to into certain segments of the labor market. Now, just uh, going back to the one-child policy for a moment, I lived in China for three years, and it's quite something to see a whole generation of people that have grown up without siblings as only children. How has the policy or just the decline in fertility, if you want to put it that way, how has that affected Chinese life and culture in the last 40 years? I think this is more fundamental, you know, in terms of social change to Chinese social psychology and you know, the social sense of who Chinese uh, individual are connected to uh, families and other people. And uh, we now see that not just, you know, this policy not affects the uh, mentality, the thinking of the younger generation. It also affects the older generation, how they so, for example, uh, I hear people talking about, uh, now I'm in retirement age, my responsibility to my grandchildren is not as, as of the older thinking. It's my responsibility to raise the third generation. They want to live their more useful retirement life. So that's a very, very different scenario than what we, you know, the stereotypical of a Chinese family. It really is a remarkable change that has happened in Chinese society over the last 40 to 50 years. Professor Tsai, one more question. Fertility is not just a long-term driver of economic growth, but you know it's something that you can also look at that can even show whether a recession is coming. Is that, is that right? Uh, yeah. So, you know, that's a very, very good example in the United States. The fertility decline in 2007 preceded the recession of 2007-2008. So that says something because it takes 10 months to conceive a baby. So that means the families and the mothers knows quite a bit uh, about economy before the recession even hit. That's a great example. It's definitely something that we could be watching to see when the recession will come or when a recession will happen in any country. Professor Tsai Yong of the University of North Carolina, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for being with us on Benchmark. Thank you. Benchmark will be back next week. Until then, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal, Bloomberg.com, our Bloomberg app, and podcast destinations such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. We'd love it if you took the time to rate and review the show so more listeners can find us. You can also follow me on Twitter at Scott Landman. Benchmark is produced by Topher Forges. The head of Bloomberg Podcasts is Francesca Levy. Thanks for listening. See you next time.
I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal wherever you get your podcast, And watch on Bloomberg Originals, Bloomberg Television, or BTV+.